Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you are tuned into My Turning Point, where this week, really special episode, joined by Rock and Roll Hall of Fame guitarist Nancy Wilson from the band Heart, talking about the first solo album of her career, singing with Sammy Hagar, and much, much, much more. Hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Always an honor to talk to the legendary Nancy Wilson. Hey, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. Good. So how are you doing today? Where are you today? I am up in Northern California right now, um, just looking out the window at a beautiful day with some birds feeding at the bird feeder and some wind chimes out there and uh, sitting around Zooming with people. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how that's a thing now. I guess it is, man, you know? One of the weird things to come out of, you know, it's funny because, you know, as I've talked with literally hundreds of artists in the last year, everyone from Stevie Nicks and John Bon Jovi to Tim McGraw and Lenny Kravitz, you know, it's amazing to chart all of the changes in the last year. And Zooming is definitely one of them. But, uh, you know, <laughs> right. it makes it a lot yeah. easier to do a press day this way where you don't have to actually go around. No, I know. I mean, it's it has changed the face of, uh, you know, the industry, I think, quite a bit. And it's it's easier you're right you don't have to get stuck in traffic you know and go especially like if you're doing press in LA or someplace where you're just stuck or or New York and you're stuck in the traffic and you're late and then you're on a set and then you've got makeup and hair and and you're tired you didn't sleep because it's 2 hours three-hour difference, you know, all, all that stuff. The present days start way too early in New York. But, here, you know, where are you sitting? Uh, Long Beach, California. And I love it because mm. for me, I used to have to drive from Long Beach to L.A. for all these interviews in person. Oh, wow. And, you know, I, I recall there was one, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of time, so I, I don't want to talk too much about myself, but it was really funny because there was one two-day period where I interviewed Perry Farrell, who I'm sure you've known for many years, and Cascade, the DJ, who's also a friend, back-to-back days, both of them live in Santa Monica. They both picked from 2 to 3 o'clock to do the interviews. And then they're both friends, so I kind of hung around and shot the shit with them afterwards. Long story short, we finished it around 3.30. So I left Long Santa Monica at 3.30, got back to Long Beach at 6 o'clock, two days in a row. And when I was done, I was like, fuck this, I'm never doing another in-person <laughs> interview again. So, oh, you know, God. for yeah, me... That's pretty fun. Oh, that's like, that's a long trek. It, I mean, well, it's funny. It's not even that far to go. It was just the traffic. But so for me, I agree with you. This is my quality of life in this is far, far better. You know, it's always, <laughs> you know, it's always an obviously a different vibe when you can say hello in person. And in fact, last time I saw you was Sunset Marquee at, um, oh. it was a night where um, Timothy White was being honored. Oh, yeah. That's so good. that was, yes. Right. So, so we have met in person multiple times, but that was the last time, you know, but this one, you know, I'm in sweats in a, a sweatshirt. No one has to get dressed. It's nice. You know, <laughs> my cat, my cat's sitting on the bed with me. So, so, but again, I don't want to sit here and talk about myself. Let's come to, what was the sort of turning point moment for you where you decided that you were ready to finally, after, you know, 50 years in the industry to do a solo record? Well, it's not quite 50 yet, but getting there. Close to 50, you know, more than 40. Let's put it that, you know, not yeah. trying to age you at all, but you know, it's been, it's been years, you know, what, yeah. what, was, the, what <laughs> was the first heart album? What's a few decades between friends. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
No, I think, well, obviously being in shutdown, you know, in a pandemic and unable to tour with the rock band like every other summer since forever. Um, it was like, you know, it was like this moment where we had just moved up here pretty recently to Northern California. And um, this great house here has another uh like an apartment over the garage area. So like a, a two room apartment with a kitchen and a bathroom. And I'm like, Hey, maybe, maybe I could actually have an actual music space just for me where I could leave all my guitars set up and I can have all my gear out and all the cool amps and stuff that came off the road. And, and, um, you know, music stands and really good microphones. And so, so I was like, well, I'm getting really sick of doing this thousand piece jigsaw puzzle. So maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll think about trying to record that song by Bruce Springsteen, The Rising, because I had seen him in, uh, in New York on the Broadway, Springsteen on Broadway show. And, um, back in the day when we used to be able to fly anywhere. And <laughs> and I was so t inspired by a lot, all of those songs stripped down without all the big production that they used to have on the radio and how incredibly stunning a lot of these lyrics were, his lyrics. And so I figured it would be a cool, you know, test out the mics and figure out how to use my uh, interface kind of stuff, you know, to record with. And nothing fancy, you know, just just do a version of The Rising because it, it would be aspirational for a time like this in a pandemic like this since it had been written originally for 9-11 and a lot of the loss that was going on then. Well, there's even more has been going on now, and so maybe it would be aspirational, it would be comforting to people, you know. And so that was where I started, and then I kept going, well, I should write, I should write something. <laughs> so I wrote a song called We'd Meet Again, and then I kept writing more, and I kept writing more, and... Uh, you know, I, I went to my friend um, Taylor Hawkins because I'd done some singing on his album and uh, Get the Money. It's a great album. And um, Taylor, Taylor's a homie. He, Taylor's a good friend. Like, I've known oh, him yeah. for a lot of years. And in fact, he's been on the podcast as well. And he's a oh. great dude. Yeah. And in fact, Duff's, Duff's been on as well. So, you know, and Sammy's been on. We're all old friends. Oh, yeah. Sammy's on my, my record too. So's Duff. So's ta uh, Taylor. But I, I asked Taylor, you got anything like any jams laying around, dude, you know? And, and he's, he said, me and Duff have this one thing. And so he sent it to me. He emailed it over to me. And I said, oh, let me just chop it up and rearrange it and write the words and sing it. And then I sent it back to him. And he's saying all these great harmony parts. And so... Uh, I think it's going to be the next video, actually, that we are going to try to go to L.A. We'll probably drive up to L.A. and meet up in some crazy-ass club. And 
<laughs> and try to get those guys to come and, I don't know, you know, flail about somehow. <laughs> Wait, so that, that's interesting because I'm sure you spent a lot of time in LA. I know you spent a lot of time in LA. What club in LA to you comes closest to what the Angel Ballroom would be? Well, we're looking at the one called the, um, what's the name of it? Um, it's the, oh, what's it called? I'll think of it when I'm not trying to. Oh, it's the Lucky Strike, I think. Okay. You know the Lucky Strike? It's yeah. just kind of a dump, you know, with a big stage and a big bar. <laughs> it would just be someplace like typical. You know, it wouldn't it wouldn't be anything too too fancy. Nothing, you know. I think it would be really a fun video to make. That's, that place actually has a good history too. It's such a random place because it's a freaking bowling alley. But I saw Jackson Brown do six <laughs> right. songs there. It's like one of the best places in LA. Yeah, we I, I I got up and jammed in there one time with Nuno and his band and. With uh, my my singer from Roadcase Royale, Liv Warfield came, and, and I think was Ryan there. I can't remember, but yeah, that's a fun that's a fun room. It's just kind of so un unusual, so unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so many directions to go with it. You know, for me, by the way, it's funny because you were talking about the lyrics of Springsteen. So that is literally my favorite artist of all time. So I'm I'm well versed. I'm so curious. Have you gotten Have you heard from him since you released the song? Well, his people contacted my people and said that he really liked it. <laughs> I was totally jacked about that. I mean, did the Snoopy dance for, because, I mean, you know, he's, he's one of my all-time, especially now. I mean, before he was more like a dude's dude, like on the radio, early hits, you know, like, born in the USA, you know, and the, the rock and roll accent's kind of hard to interpret the way that a lot of the songs were that sounded. And um, when you hear, when, when I heard those songs on Broadway, it was like, oh my God, there's so much depth and, and width and poetic, you know, power to these lyrics that, that they wrote. And I, I, I really kind of was taken, it, it was taken me by surprise. It was like, this is shockingly great. <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because, uh, you know, again, I've always been a fan, but I was discussing this with someone not long ago. And I, I can't, Lucinda Williams, I think we were discussing how in, it, yeah, she's amazing too, but we we're discussing how in Petty and Dylan, you know, they both also, their tenor changed so much as they got older. And it's interesting because I mean, as an artist, you do change, you evolve, you, you grow, you know, so it's interesting. I mean, taking this into you know, you and me, is this an album you feel like you could have made at any other point or was it, you know, not only is, did it work out with the pandemic, but also does it just feel like the right time in your life to do a, a, a total solo record? Yes, it's it's be also because the pa pandemic, not only because of being in shutdown, I think forever people have asked me, you know, what are you going to do a solo album? And uh in a way, being sucked in the vortex of heart, summer after summer after summer, in tour after tour after tour, and album after album after album, um, you know, it it was like, well, this is a really good excuse to do that thing that I've been wanting to do for so long, and 
there's no real distraction from doing it. So this is the challenge to make it happen and be brave enough, you know, to, to you know, get a recording space and do some recording and do some writing and, you know, kind of try to pull it out of your soul a little bit and make it work for, you know, for myself. If, if nobody even notices that the album is there, it's not going to matter either to me because I feel so good about doing it. Like, I have such great joy having done it, and I'm proud of it, and I, I like it. <laughs> I like it. I like myself in this album. <laughs> well, I like it too, but it's really funny because, you know, uh, I've spoken to Anne several times, but, you know, it's so funny. I've spoken to countless artists about this as well, and, you know, who knows what's going to happen in terms of, you know, post-touring pandemic and all this stuff. But what's really interesting, I've spoken about this with countless artists. And, you know, when you get an opportunity to step out and do something different and try something completely different, oftentimes you find that it invigorates you for, you know, what, uh, as, as Joe Perry put it so well, when we talk about Hollywood vampires versus Aerosmith, you know, Aerosmith is the machine. That's the one that, like you said, it takes a, you know, it takes like a whole army to get that going. Whereas the vampires, though it has big names, it's much easier to move because it's smaller and it's all right. friends. But, you know, when you have that balance, you like it. So it's funny. Do you feel like having had the opportunity to do this, it also does feedback into heart and invigorate you more for the possibility of doing more stuff in the future? Well, yeah, I, I, I know that there is a possibility for heart to go back out there in the future. Um, cause there's a big offer on the table and, uh, you know, it, it's just a matter of how and when, I suppose. But, um, but yeah, I think having done this album, I would I would definitely want to bring some of it into the heart framework, you know, for a live show too, because there's some fun stuff that we would sound great doing, um, and you know, I could sing I could sing a little more more often in heart. That wouldn't be a bad thing either, and I don't consider myself any kind of Ann Wilson by any stretch of the imagination, but, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It's, it's about what it's about storytelling and it's about character for me. So, um, yeah, but there's also another possibility I'd like to explore, which is coming up this Ju uh, July, early in July of, of Seattle symphony and me and my band that played on this album, um, doing a show at Benaroya Hall, which is a beautiful uh, performance art space um, with big, you know, beautiful wood and like a huge pipe organ. It's a big cathedral of a beautiful music space. And um, so we have a plan to drive to Seattle <laughs> in July <laughs> for a couple of days. It'll take a couple of days. Well, no, it's not that far from here now. Um, it'd take a couple of days from L.A. where we used to live. Anyway, so we're going to go up there and rehearse that and probably start with a small acoustic part of the show and then bring the band out for a slightly larger part and then bring the symphony for the rest of it, about 75 minutes show. And hopefully be able to do it more than one time.
Well, I was, you know, it's fascinating. It's funny because, you know, coming back, we're going to come onto the covers in a second because obviously The Rising wasn't the only one you did. And it's always interesting to talk to people about, you know, getting to go into someone else's music. But, you know, and conversely, it's not just you getting to go into someone else's music. When you work with a symphony, they're getting to go into your music and you're getting to hear their interpretations. So which songs from this album, are there any that you are particularly excited to see what they bring to the songs and, and what they do with yes, them? Yes, yes. I Well, definitely the one song that has strings, real strings on it, is Walk Away. And the guy from the Seattle Symphony was the guy I worked with for those parts to get those parts, um, you know, arranged. So that would definitely be an obvious choice. But I think that the Cranberry song, uh, Dreams, would be really cool with an orchestra. I think uh, probably not You and Me because it already walks the line of sweetness as it as it is. Um, you know, without that word in there, gravity, that word, it kind of saves the song in many ways from being a little too, a little too sweet. Um, but uh, then I think something like Party at the Angel Ballroom would be really great with some fiery strings going on, you know. So I'm still, you know, thinking thinking it through there probably would be um some strings on the dragon possibly because uh, that's you know got some crazy parts and you know so i'm just still kind of playing with dreaming it dreaming up the the possibilities <laughs> well you know it's so interesting going back to what i was saying earlier it's funny because you say that you know you could sing more and that's what i was kind of getting at earlier too with the, do you feel more comfortable at this point? Because, you know, look, obviously you sang on These Dreams, which was Hart's first number one, you know, so it's not like you haven't had success with it, but I think it's also as an artist, you just get more comfortable as you get older, putting yourself out there in different ways. So for yeah. you, did you find that being in the position of being the front person and, you know, having your name on, because I've talked about this with countless artists too, when you put your name on a record, it's so different yeah. than a band because it's your name. Yeah. You know, so for you, did you find that it was something invigorating and you kind of liked the challenge? And also, do you feel like, again, just being more comfortable now to be the person, you know, who's in the front entirely? No, I definitely, I definitely do feel that. Um, you know, when I was, when I was in university, before I joined, for real joined Heart, I mean, I was always going to be in the band, open invitation. But first I went to the university for a while and I, I, became a solo player and I played in coffee shops just by myself. And I did a lot of that kind of stuff with myself or with another player that I'd met duets and stuff like that. Um, and that's my call. That's kind of my original space where I, where, what I expected for myself, like my big dream would be to be somebody, um, with a small, small, maybe a small, but very appreciative, loyal audience, you know, that would come to see me in small places. And I could be kind of a folky or, you know, something like, you know, I could do rock too, but, but uh, then when I joined the band, you know, it was like, whoa, just add water. You know, everything exploded. Everything was big for a long time. And, um, 
I had a lot, a lot, a, a lot of a, a big learning curve to to learn about how to be on big stages and you know play out and look at the exit sign in the back of a big room just to, so I'm not staring at my feet all the time. So stuff like that, you know, it's just like a learning curve, a far out learning experience. So it's so funny that I like the fact too, that it takes you back to that early roots. I mean, it's funny when you, you mentioned the Springsteen on Broadway show, obviously, but when you think back then to being in university and those early days, are there artists that really, you know, when you come time to do a record like this, are there artists then that come back into your mind in terms of those early sort of folky days? And it's funny because I think for me, I'm thinking about it. And it's like probably my favorite acoustic show I ever saw. It's funny. I've seen Neil Young 50 okay. fucking times and I saw him do acoustic at the Greek yep. theater. And it was one of the best shows I've ever seen. It was just mind blowing. So for you, are there those early folky days or those artists that really, you know, came to your mind as you were making this record or that brought you back to those early Definitely days? Definitely a Neil Young thing for me too, because I play a lot like Neil Young on acoustic guitar. I play it like a percussion a percussion instrument, kind of like he does, a lot like he does. And, um, and of course, the first time I ever saw Jackson Brown, he was opening in Seattle for, for Joni Mitchell during her blue era. And I'd never seen or heard of anything about Jackson Brown. And... I had to immediately go by his his first album, and I was already a Joni Mitchell freak, you know. But she played alone by herself with a piano, a guitar, a dulcimer, um, you know. And and she was just just beyond stunning. I mean, she's the Dil- she's the female Dylan, in my opinion. And you know, uh, but that's the kind of thing. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Um, with those those harmonies too, uh, were just killer. And you know, Dylan to a certain degree, degree depending on the era of Dylan, because he he wear a lot of different masks. <laughs> yeah, That's it. I, you know, it's so funny. I I feel like I've seen everything and I've seen everyone, and I don't get jealous very much. But as soon as you said seeing Joni in Blue Era, I did get <laughs> jealous. I'm not gonna uh, lie. No, I mean. Jackson Brown blew my mind and of course I'd had some pot that night too so (laughs) and so it was like I was out of my brain by the time the end the end of the Joni show I was just like life altering stuff you know it was just it was biblical (laughs) well Speaking of great songwriters, and I don't know how we're doing on time, so I don't want to go too crazy, but obviously, you know, I mentioned the other covers and, and, you know, I mean, arguably besides Dylan, you know, the great American songwriter is Paul Simon, who you cover on The Boxer with Sammy. Take me through, take me through the, and I love the fact too, though, that, you know, it's a mix of both covers and originals and they go together. So, you know, starting with The Boxer, but then sort of branching out to, you know, what you were really looking for in the songs that you put on here to complement your originals. Yeah, I... Well, we did last Heart Tour, we incorporated the boxer in our set. So I sang the boxer all last tour. And because it's such a, a an anthemic, la, 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 you know, the people can sing along with it. And, and it's such a beautifully written song. And the, um, you know, the message in the song is so... It's kind of a 
is a real delicate message about an undelicate topic. You know, it's a boxer who gets who who doesn't he doesn't quit even though he's he's beat to shit. You know, so um, and when 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 Paul Simon came out and did that on Saturday Night Live after the nine eleven thing happened with his the line of the firefighter guys there. That was like stunning moment in in a song in in the life of a song. So I think people, you know, for me, I've been singing it since I was a kid. In many, every kind of room you could imagine, people's living rooms and fireplaces and bonfires and you know <laughs> those those echoey stairways stairwells, um, but. Uh, it's just such a great song, and the band in the players are mostly the same guys that I put on my album that played in Heart with with us, and and they they even have you know the capabilities of things like accordions if you want an accordion over here, and you know they're so good, they're such good players. I was not never in the same room with them during the whole process, but. Having played with these guys so much, we already knew how to read each other's mind as players and, you know, how to let, I know what Ben, I know what Ben's going to do, Ben Smith, the drummer's going to do coming into this chorus. I know exactly how he's going to fill in, fill that, do that fill into that chorus, you know. So there was something really, uh, second nature going on with all of our passing files all around. Those guys are all in Seattle, mainly. And, yeah, so it was really a cool way to do it with... But then it's funny because then he brought Sammy in as well, yeah. so, you know. And then he used to be a boxer. So I wanted to... I had this big rocker that didn't really end up on the album. It ended up being more like a sports casting kind of a song. But... uh I said, you want to do, you know, sing on this big rocker with me? And he's like, that's that's pretty predictable. What else you got? And I'm like, well, do you, do you like Boxer by Simon and Garfunkel? And he's like, I love that song. So, you know, <laughs> so I love what's in there because it really takes it to a new, takes it in, into a new uh, dimension. It's a tough thing, you know. You could put a doubt put a tough guy in, in the middle of a delicate song and it's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, maybe these last couple of questions, but it's interesting because I want to ask you about the writing as well. And you mentioned the first song that you wrote, I believe after doing the rising was you mentioned was we'll meet again. And it's funny for you, you know, as you got into writing, you know, cause I talk about this with the artists every time when you make a record, you know, when you're writing, it's good writing is subconscious. So for you, as you were writing, were there things in the record that came out that kind of surprised you or songs early on that really shaped the direction of where your writing was going? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. I, I, was I was trying to channel um, Paul Simon a little bit when I was writing We Meet Again. And then I kind of tried to channel um, various, you know, writers, kind of like a Neil Young over here and kind of like a... Um, kind of like uh, Steely Dan over there, you know. So it's it's character acting, I guess. 
when you're, even when you're writing something, it's you, you're going to try to stay in this area of character that you're going to, you know, convey a character. And who, that one poetic, poetic character over here and the one at the Angel Ballroom is a different one. You know, that's just like a, that's a, a crazy, wacky character. <laughs> All right. And now I have to ask, as a, as a diehard Steely Dan fan, mm-hmm. you know, huge Steely, what, what song would do you feel like you were trying to, you know, character act, channel Steely Dan? I'm going to guess maybe The Dragon. Because it feels like that could be a Steely Dan song, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I think the Dragon would be more Steely Dan than any other song on there. Um, maybe a little party at the Angel Ballroom too, because it's kind of tongue in cheek, like a lot of their stuff. And on the vinyl, there's going to be some bonus tracks, and Any Major Dude is one of those, because that was one of my favorite Steely Dan songs, because it's like, you know. It's it's so it's so empathetic to some fool, you know, who thinks he's cool. <laughs> I do love the fact that we're having this conversation that you're a big Steely Dan fan, because my ex-wife, who I'm still super close with, and we're very close, she hated Steely Dan, and she was absolutely convinced that only guys ever like Steely Dan. So now I get to tell her, fight me. <laughs> oh, no, I, I can't stop going back to... Um, um, my favorite one is uh, Gaucho. Gaucho is perfection. That's just the perfect album. Oh, I agree with you. It's funny. The song I go back to all the time is Dr. Wu. Yeah, that one. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. But I know we got to wrap up in a second because we've been on for 30 minutes. But it's interesting, too. I mean, I do want to ask you about the Dreams cover because, you know, that's a much more contemporary one. Well, actually, no, Daughter is a little more contemporary as well, but obviously you've known the Pearl Jam guys for, for many years. I don't want to say 50 because, you know, I don't want to age you, but I know you've known them for, you know, 20 something years at least, you know? So it's interesting that the dreams one. And I also really like that because I had interviewed Dolores multiple times and obviously we lost her is, you know, she's just, you know, one of way too many artists who's gone way too damn soon. So I kind of like the idea of paying tribute to her as well. She'll be up at the Angel Ballroom with the rest of those guys. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I we were, me and Jeff, my hubby, were just driving in the car, you know, around in the neighborhood. And that song came on, the radio. It's an oldie station that we kind of like. And because uh, you, you hear stuff you haven't heard in ages. It's kind of interesting. But... Jeff said, well, you should just, you should cover that song and have Liv Warfield sing it with you. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we did. <laughs> and it turned out very fun. I, I think for the symphony, it would be a really fun song too. All right, cool. I know we got to wrap up. It's interesting for you when you go back and listen to this record as a whole. And I, I asked about, you know, the mix of both the originals and the covers. But when you listen to this as a complete work, what do you take from it? And what do you hope maybe others take from it? Um, I hope that they can take some inspiration, some fun, a little romance, a little rock, um, and just sort of something that's fresh, that's not exactly hard either. (laughs) Well, in terms of the inspiration... You know, that's interesting as well, because it's, you know, again, Springsteen is my number one of all time, but I hadn't thought of the correlation of 
the rising being written right after 9-11 yeah. and then you doing it in the time of the pandemic. So it's such an interesting thing when you got into doing it, because this happens all the time. Did the song change for you at all? Did you take other things from it? You know, going when actually doing it versus just listening to it. I took a lot of new stuff from it that I hadn't ever thought of before. Like the part where the Mary, you know, I see Mary in the garden in the garden of a thousand sighs and how his Catholic boy, you know, is so strong in that song and his, um, his commitment to the feeling, the, the plight of the humanity in his stuff, you know, because of his Catholic guilt, probably, and his conscience and, um, not only guilt, you know, but his conscience about, uh, the, you know, what, what humans, the loss that humans have to endure and the humanity hum humans have to endure <laughs> and having the, the sweetness of the understanding of all that, you know, he's not just a macho guy. He's singing about, he's singing about our souls, you know, like a catfish jumping on the end of my line, you know, like trying to reel in, you know, the, the goodness of humanity. Cool. I feel like it's yeah. a good wrap up. Now, is there anything that you want to add? I did not ask you about. Uh, I guess uh, the albums arrives on May 7th. I do know that. And it's, it'll all be out. And I already, yeah, I think we've got all the bases basically covered and fun talking uh, for sure. Yeah, no, great catching up with you. Always enjoy it. And um, yeah, you know, I won't ask you for any more of the bonus tracks, but you know, as a Steely Dan fan, I'm excited for any major dude. So I'll, I'll leave it and, and be surprised. <laughs> all right. Just tell me, just give me a number. How many more bonus tracks are on the vinyl? There's four bonus tracks on the vinyl and I'll just tell you if you want. Sure. Okay. Blackbird is one, um, Fixing a Hole, and uh, what's the other one? Well, Any Major any major Dude, and I think that's, there's three of them, I think. I think that's what, okay. I think those are them. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's always great catching up with you. Well, you too. Maybe uh, All right, thanks. do it again sometime. Oh, definitely. All right. Okay, okay bye. Okay, bye. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You've been listening to My Turning Point with special guest Nancy Wilson. Thanks. When it comes to LASIK, Dr. Boutros and the Eye Center have led the way for the past 25 years. Today, this tradition continues by being one of the few practices in the country to offer you iDesign 2.0, using the same technology as the NASA James Webb Telescope. And in the hands of an elite surgeon like Dr. Boutros, more patients are seeing 2020 or better after LASIK. Right now, enjoy 20% off iLASIK with iDesign. Go to theeyecenter.com or call 888-844-2020. Some restrictions apply. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. 
With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.